Estilo Media Podcast. Terrible, but whatever. Episode two. Episode two. I think in the old podcast, that's what we'd always say after the claps. We're like, that was horrible. It's terrible. Unless it was a good one. Because there were a few that were pretty good. Right. It all syncs up at the end. Yeah, it's post-production. All right. Welcome back, dear listener, to episode number two, which is French for two. I'm Ian. That's Ian. I'm Eric. That's Eric. I guess we should start with our names sometimes. Yeah, because... You never Listening know. back, I was like, what is this? Right, we'll probably people? have to talk about what this is each time we're two people. <laughs> I think it's your turn to give the spleen. Fuck. <laughs> um, well, we're two guys that love stories. We're just two dudes. We love video games and stories and D&D. And this is kind of a podcast about us... Bouncing ideas, learning things, discussing stories, kind of a how to do these things, but it's not like coming from professionals or people that have been doing it for a long time. This is coming from two people that are learning it right now and then sharing this kind of like learning experience and how it evolves and what we learn from being dungeon masters, storytellers. Uh, we're also, me and Eric have been playing music for many, many, many years. A lot of those years we've been playing together or at least side by side because, you know, we were just always around. But it's been over 20 years, so. Yeah, it's true. It's true. So yeah, I mean, that's a little basic intro to what this is. Yeah, it's kind of like passion for stories with a D&D focus maybe it's kind of the thing or almost like a tabletop game focus there you whether go it's, yeah. yeah you know it could be applied to really any any tabletop yeah we're just super yeah. not super but we're becoming more familiar with D&D 5e but we've been playing since not even playing we've been into it since like second edition or AD&D I think you yeah. played fourth edition a little bit or third. No, I played three point five and three, but not extensively. I think a lot of people probably had this experience where you'd start and you'd play a couple of sessions and then it just mysteriously evaporate. Right. And oh, then that's you'd start another one up and you'd play a few sessions and then it just implode. It it's weird how much dedication it takes to really like keep D and D going. Oh like, yeah. Okay, and the, let's do the this. Fact- the fact that this group we're playing with is almost like we'll be coming up on two years in a few months. I yeah, mean, it's I mean, we a still chunk got a of bit, months, but... right? But it's still it's coming up where it's coming up. Yeah, like I think I've missed maybe two or three sessions, maybe. I've never missed a session. That's right. Never. But, uh, yeah, it's been wild. I remember when we first started, we wanted to like we would like try and schedule like little sessions in the week sometimes. We were super stoked about it. Right. And then, you know, the pandemic kind of it didn't really calm down, but people got more information, so people started going out a little bit more. 
And then it was harder to schedule because most of the people we play with have families and stuff. They have kids. They need to. They need to exercise their kids. Take them on kids regular and walks. Wives and you give them some fresh air and some fresh every once in a while. <laughs> if you're single, you can just stay in your cave and be like, "That's ah, my cave." Open is... the window. Yeah, to open Close my all my blinds are shut right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my window's closed. I, I did open I it today though. Are you above ground? I thought you were below ground. No, I'm below ground. I have a window that's like in a well, but I can still see like the side walkway of the house and everything. Oh, okay, so it's not super deep. You're just kind of in there. It's not super deep. The foundation's really thick. Is the trade-off? Uh-huh. Very, very, very. It's like it's it's a new foundation. They like doubled the thickness of it. What the? So fuck? again, wow. why I have no reception in my room? Like no cell reception. That's why it's we have to box. always use apps to talk to each other. Yeah, yeah. Just use Wi-Fi all the time. Um, all right. So what are we doing? Where are we going? What are we, what are we doing today, Ian? Uh, today we are going to talk about whatever we want to. And you I, have to listen to it. Don't leave. Please stay. It'll be fun. Um, did you make any notes? I made notes. I think you, you know the answer to that question. Yeah. I try to keep all my notes up here, and that's, I've that's learned over many years efficient. that no, it's, I get to keep about one note. One that's, note that's half remembered, usually. and it's usually show up. That's the note I remember. What do you think about that, Bill? Well, I had some thoughts, but I forgot them, so I'm just gonna sit here and listen politely. That's me. Well, yeah. no, that's not me. I don't listen politely. Um. I don't know. I know Sometimes. you've got some things to say. There's some things oh. that uh, I could talk about. So Sweet. let's start with something you've got. Okay. Um, well, to kick it off, I figured we would talk about what is a dungeon master. Since we're dungeon masters, and that's kind of our perspective on the game, I would say, when we talk about it a lot, is like as dungeon masters first and player second, right? Right. Like, uh, I think we think about the structure of the game and planning and you know building good sessions and stuff like that so not that we don't love playing but i definitely love dming more than playing see i love like maybe I really, if i was go ahead oh, i really love both like uh, there's a part of the the dming aspect that i really really love mm-hmm. but then there's a part of being the player that i really really love so it's really kind of i'm torn of which do I like more? I right. I love them both, man. I really love playing. I really love DMing, especially if you're going to like talk about the high of each one. Like a really good right. session as a player, it feels great, man. Like mm-hmm. just like we had that session yesterday, it feels felt it's so great. good yeah. to nail a session where everyone gets to play everyone does something like meaningful interactions in the game right. things that right. and it meaningful meaning that it's meaningful to the character does it have to be a story changing thing no it right. just needs to mean something and this same thing applies to the dm dming that same situation where you're just hitting a stride with each player where they all get to do something and everyone's smiling everyone's having a good time or maybe some people are sad because their situation didn't go better. They got they made a choice and it was it 
that didn't work out. Uh, right. But that's still meaningful interaction. Yeah. So I think that the, for me, the high on both of those is they're pretty equal. But you mm. like the high from the DM. I I like I, I I like being the person who when you're when you do a good session you fa- you facilitated that experience. Yeah. That to me is kind of like I think it's what I always wanted from like performing on stage like as a musician but never really got it. I get more from D&D. Oh, absolutely. But just that, like, everybody's super stoked, and you're kind of, you know when it's a good session because everyone hangs out for a while instead of, like, immediately. Because we play online, uh, listeners. So we play through, uh, we have Zoom up, and then we play through Roll20. Um, But you know when it's good. People hang out, and you chat, and, you know, you're just, everyone's naturally talking about it, so. And you and you kind of feel like you did your job. I think a lot of times um, when it feels bad, when you're like that sucked, it's it's like your unspoken needs aren't being met. You may not even know what it is, but you're just like I'm frustrated and I don't know why. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I found too like I made a my character uh, for the Friday campaign that we play. My original character has left the group, at least for the time being, probably indefinitely. He he has things that he's doing right now, off screen, so to speak, off table. Um, but my new character is a rogue, and my old character was a caster, and I really, may, playing a rogue, things really clicked. Like, right. that's my, I love playing a rogue and sneaking around and doing reconnaissance and breaking into places you shouldn't be uh and do it undetected i i got detected last night but it wasn't my fault it wasn't my <laughs> well, fault. We, i definitely want to tell that story in a minute yeah please um, do. but Poor the uh, was. well that's because that definitely seems like that's where you hit being a player where you're like oh i do like this but still you're you're the one that kind of pushed me to like even try doing the dm thing right and the idea well, of this let's back up i didn't push you you're like huh that'd be fun i was like you should do it right yeah you should do it yeah i should i'm not gonna i'm not gonna tell you any of the pain you just you all just right do it, so build the stuff <laughs> the idea of this question is what's what does it mean to be a dungeon master so i'm gonna tell you from somebody that was like pushed into doing it in a kind way Mm-hmm. Well, we can call it inspired instead of pushed. We could say nudged. Could we, say nudged. You inspired me. So watching Eric DM and watching my friend John DM, they're very different. But I, there's so much that I loved about him. And Eric really scratches this certain want of story and consequence when he's the DM. And I really liked that. And then our friend John does great improv and does great voices and great combat. So I really wanted to create, I, when I like have those two is like what I look at was like, I want to make the best of both of those worlds. So as the idea of being a dungeon master, when you hear it, you're like, what does that mean? Right. So like the idea of me doing, it, I was like, I get to be the one that is like, no, we're not going to do ability checks like that. We're not going to do 
this we're going to create i wanted to create super powerful characters that were just already overpowered and they were going to become more powerful right and i would tell eric about these things in this in being a dungeon master i was thought to myself how the story will play out how the characters will go uh and i made all of i made everybody like choose like archetypes of their favorite heroes or create something that they love from you know anything that they really loved and uh everybody came up with some pretty crazy characters and being a dungeon master you when you first start jumping in to create a homebrew the experience that you have is <laughs> i don't even know it's so grandiose it's so big and so huge and you start the beginnings of your planning and you kind of create the first little bit and then you realize how much there is to create Uh-oh. when you do that. Uh-oh. Um, There's so much. Yeah. And you, I learned a lot from uh, just jumping right in. So mm-hmm. creating these super powerful characters, because, you know, you want, if you're the DM like me, you want your characters to feel strong, to feel like they could do anything and that they could do anything. So I created this world. And as I'm pl- like, now we're a few sessions into it. Um, I've learned that the way that D&D was set up is actually a pretty good marker for like damage rolls and ability checks and there's a reason why they have these things set up the way they are and not the way I shoved them to be right because now I'm trying to now I'm competing with characters that are so powerful and like it's so hard to like challenge them with anything Mm -hmm. because they're they're like they're beyond what I understood right when I first started DMing. So it was this mm-hmm. huge learning thing for me of right. oh power levels. There's a reason that we do like a D twenty and like a plus three or a plus four to something is actually huge. Right. Rather than some of my characters have like plus sixteens and shit. And it's like, yeah. why don't you just like ramp that down so like the numbers are smaller but they're still just as consequential and it's like oh right you mean like how they are in D D? fuck yeah. well and, and the interesting thing to interject really quick is that's kind of how third edition was was the numbers were way larger and there was more math involved and more modifiers and that's what they talk about like uh rules bloat and power creep like things oh, just kept th- expanding so Fourth edition, thing. I'm I'm not as familiar with, but I know fourth edition went up to level thirty instead of twenty. So I would assume they would have similar power creep issues, but I don't know. But fifth edition, you can tell they really rolled it back, and they're like, "Hey, let's let's keep it simpler." Because I mean, each time you add a, like a plus one modifier, you're adding five percent to your chance of success. So if right. you have a plus five, that's what twenty five. 
a 25% uptick in your chance of success. So that's pretty good. That's That's insane. Yeah. You know, so when you all of a sudden you give them a plus 16, the chance that's that's a hundred and thirty percent chance increase right so then you just have to increase the dcs and now it's like what am i even doing i could have kept the numbers small right and they still would have that same gravity and the math would be so to me to go back to the original question what does it mean to be a dm Mm -hmm. it's to learn to learn so much so quickly and it's like oh another good comparison is you know you want to be a musician go perform right. go get, get on, on stage, stage. yeah and like even when you're you feel like you're not good well that's your any time you go to perform you're never gonna feel good enough right that's not to say don't yeah. practice and not prepare that's to say go do it like go prepare and just go do it don't put it off to be like oh i need to have this and this in place no you don't just go go do it just do it go to a coffee shop that's that's the same thing we did did with this podcast where i was like hey ian we should do a podcast again and he's like okay how 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 soon you want to do it i was like let's do it in a couple weeks and he was like what like can't we wait a little bit nope we're just gonna we're gonna dive right in we know we we've done a little bit of this before we'll be all right and then he's like i was like okay i guess i gotta buy a microphone and uh i gotta get a few things and he's like get it get it we're gonna record next week i'm like fucking do it okay but yeah it really does you learn so much about why when you just jump in so to me being a dm is to learn all the time it's a constant state of learning you never there's never an end to being a D. I mean, for me, this is me right. explaining what it feels to me. Right, right. There's never an end to become being a DM. The skill will always evolve. Right. You'll learn right. a new game and find aspects of that game that you like, and that will change yeah. the way that you may run some, like, if you're like, you know, you play, just to use this, Magic the Gathering. Mm-hmm. And you like this weird aspect of that, you all of a sudden pull some sort of version of that into your campaign that you're running for your friends. You know, it's sure, sure. It's a constant change. Yeah. For me. And you know, actually there are RPGs that do use only cards, like no dice. So that's oh, totally there's that. totally a precedent for for that kind of thing. It would be really interesting since Wizards of the Coast owns both magic and D&D, if you could find some way to integrate some of the magic cards, even like the mana, maybe like your mana cards are like that represents your spell slots or something. Right. You, know, you could like bring in like different colors. Um, but yeah, I like that. I think too, learning, like just jumping in and doing it minimizes um, white room theory. And you, you're getting all your stuff is hands on and you get to see firsthand like, oh, that's why I don't want to do it that way. Right. That's that's why that doesn't work. I will I'll always remember that now. I've you know, I've learned it, I've encapsulated it, I can move on, learn other things. Yeah. You know. So I think that's why it's quicker is because you're not just you read a lot of stuff just on the page, you're like, that doesn't make sense. 
not realizing, oh, they've play tested this and they've tried it out and they've gotten people's opinions and like they've put it through, they've they've given it its table time, right? Know? So, yeah, yeah, that's that's what it is to me. To nice, and, I like uh, it. I mean, another part of that would be you have to be comfortable, not kn- like being, not knowing and like learning all the time. Yeah, and being sure. open to the idea that you may have spent six months learning this certain thing and then find something out. You're like, oh, fuck, I misunderstood that or this is a better way of interpreting that. And now you need to redo something right. and, you know, to be OK with that, because and also it's I mean, your players having players that are being cool is also a pretty big piece too because understanding that everyone's learning this game because it's a constant evolution because it's always emerging as something right right for sure there you go nice i like it i like it um i have some i just looked up definitions because i'm like i have my idea of what a dm is and what it means to me but i'm like okay what do they what does the internet say what does the world say about what a DM is. And most of it's pretty surface and like for me doesn't really get to the core of okay, again, what are you doing? What does this mean in terms of like, oh, I'm just gonna sit down and plan out a session or run a session, you know, like in the nitty gritty. But it's it, it's in the ballpark. So the first one, I think this was just from uh Google and Google gets their stuff from uh the Cambridge dictionary. So that's where their definitions come from apparently. I learned that today. Why so, uh, the dictionaries now come up in both episodes? I know it'll come up a lot. I use it all the time. Um, okay, so uh, as defined by the Cambridge Dictionary, uh, it says a person, D- uh, DM or dungeon master. I also put game master in there because dungeon master is specific to D and D most of the time. Right, I think that's it's also true. licensed. Yeah, so, probably. So GM is more GM is more generic. And uh, I have some stuff on that, too, a little bit of the history. But uh, it's a person who or- organizes and oversees the playing of fantasy role, the fantasy role-playing game Dungeons & Dragons, in particular by narrating the details of the story that are not controlled by the players. Um, Quote-unquote, taking on the role of a dungeon master is no simple task. So that's putting the term in a sentence, essentially. Which is like okay, yeah. I mean that that's in the ballpark. But if you play, if you if you've been a dungeon master, you're like, there's more to it than just that. <laughs> that you're not controlling everything by any means because the players completely throw a wrench into it. But it's close. Um, and then uh, another definition I have is in the game of Dungeons and Dragons D and D role playing game. The dungeon master is the game organizer and participant in charge of creating the details and challenges of a given adventure while maintaining a realistic continuity of events. In effect, the dungeon master controls all aspects of the game except for the actions of the PCs or player characters and describes to the characters what their characters experience or describes to the players rather. Um, the title DM was uh, invented by Tactical Studies Rules, which is what TSR stands for, which is like the most disappointing thing ever. Because TSR, you remember the logo with the red oh, dragon? Yeah, for like sure. it seemed like the epitome of fantasy, right? Oh, it was. Like Wizards of the Coast, before it was that, TSR was like... TSR was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. But it stands for Tactical Studies Rules? Stupid. 
Anyways, I'm sure that had to do with chain mail and, and all that. Um, so it came out in 1975 with the second rule book. They had the three little brown books back right. in the day. And I think the, the second one, just like tradition holds today, is kind of the dungeon master guide. I don't think they called it that. Um, and then to avoid infringement uh, of TSR's trademarks, um, other terms have been used. So Game Master, Games Operations tr- uh, Director, which is a backronym of God. A backronym is making an acronym after the fact, I guess. Uh, judge, referee, storyteller. Yeah. Um, I don't, and, a lot of these terms I do not like. Yeah, they seem like they missed the mark or they seem pretentious. Game Master know? is great. Boom. Done. Game Master's good. I just, I mean, D, DM or Dungeon Master just has a ring to it, even though people don't like the connotation necessarily. Right. There are other kinds of Dungeon Masters that we won't talk about today. The ones that are like, work. you know. They have whips and they have actual dungeons and there's leather involved. Um, there's some other names depending upon the genre or style of tabletop games. So, uh, see, such as the Keeper of the Arcane Lore from Call of Cthulhu, or the Hollyhock God from Noblis or Nobilis. Nobilis? I don't even know what I've never heard of that one before. Um, so my personal thing, I mean, that's I came up with the word is that DMs are philomaths. So they're people who love stories. And again, this is my definition. It's not necessarily this. I'm sure people will disagree with this. That's totally fine. Um, But you're, you're obsessed with stories and adventures, whether it's books or comic books or movies or audio plays, video games. Like that's why I love consume all this content. It's not necessarily for the gameplay, and if it's a video game, even though that's important, it's the story that those characters are going through. Oh yeah, and and the plot and all that kind of stuff. And so for me, it always comes back to that as like carrying that thing forward, even if the story is emergent. So even if you're coming up with it, you're letting the players like, you know, maybe they're hearing rumors in town and they hear about some dragon out in a cave that there you know has treasure and that's that's where your story starts like you didn't plan out this huge linear campaign or anything like that it still comes down to that tension like the the same mechanics apply for the players like why they're going to invest in going to to do those things and all that kind of stuff and i think that's what these above descriptions miss for me is the dm is not in control like the DM sets up the parameters of what's going to happen, and then the players come in and basically break the china in the china shop, and then the DM basically emulates the fallout from that chaos. That's what I feel like the DM really does is like, oh, I didn't plan on that, and now I'm going to improvise and figure out well, they're, how they're to, to make organizers. this work. Yeah. So for me, that's it's more about. It's more, again, about the story and, and the emergent properties. And that's the motivation for learning the rules and figuring out mechanics and doing all the other stuff, I would say. Again, not right or wrong, but that's that's why uh, it's like the best version of storytelling for me. And really, a D, D&D and tabletop RPGs, to me, feel like a continuation of the oral tradition. Like, it's right. all description and language and 
and talking at the end of the day, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. I get, yeah. I get you. Yeah. Um, so what makes a good DM, Ian? Uh, that is <laughs> such a such a large question and such a opinionated question. It's true. Uh, if I were to generalize it. Well, let's say uh, for you. To, for me. Yeah, what do you, like, what do you, if you're a player, what are you looking for in a great DM or a good DM? Like, what what's going to hit those marks? Like, yep, the, they did everything. Like, I had the, I had the best ex- experience. You know, I had the best time in that session. My, I guess I would want someone that does, that is able to see what each player uniquely wants from playing the game because mm-hmm. everyone's a little different. So, I mean, right. you might have a player in your campaign that just wants combat. You have another player that just loves to role play. Mm-hmm. You have somebody else that likes a little of both. You have somebody else that loves exploring. And then you have another dude that loves combat. A good DM to me is able to see, or what I would want from a DM is someone that's able to see those aspects and consistently turn out content that satisfies everybody's want from the game. Right. Because with so many different wants, I mean, you can't always satisfy the combat-driven people. Like, that'll drive the role players away. That'll drive the explorers away. But if you could find a way to incorporate the combat and the exploration, well, there you've taken care of a chunk of the group. Now, if you can take care of the role-playing within that, then you you you've done something really good, right? So it's something just somebody for everybody, right? Right, somebody that knows how to read that within each character or how to get that information right. from their players, and then deliver it consistently. Right. Uh, and what I mean right. by I don't even mean consistently like every session, but I'm saying like draw that's able to draw people into the world, so there's right. consistency in the game. So. I'm not one day facing down, you know, a band of bandits and then I'm just some random dude. And then the next day I'm surrounded by a hundred guards from the city watch because I took a loaf of bread. That's mm-hmm. not to me that that would be like, that's weird. Why? It's no cohesion. Why? Right. So that yeah. that's that would be the other aspect is being able to be consistent throughout the game. So it feels like a world. Right. Um, whether it's a one-off or a large campaign, those would be right. things I would look for, I guess, yeah. to like briefly, because the, I mean, it's so nuanced to say what would I like, but that's a that's a pretty good broad stroke of what I would say I like. Sure, sure. And I mean, I'm sure that will change as you play more and you oh, grow yeah. the game and all that all that fun stuff. Oh, for yeah. me. Um, it's definitely, again, I feel like I'm going to end up saying this a lot, so I'm going to apologize now, but, uh, table time. So how much time, like, is the DM running games on a regular basis and do they, uh, do they, have they spent a lot of time running games? I feel like there's kind of a level of comfort and along with that grasp of the rule system, whatever that is. So even uh, if I'm a new player, if the if the DM or GM has a good grasp and they can explain it, it to me in a simple way where 
I feel comfortable getting into the game. Because let's be honest, it's always uncomfortable to like delve into a new RPG. It's always oh, like, yeah. uh, I'm uncomfortable if, right now. Especially like, and that's even if you know the people pretty well you're playing with. If you're playing with people that like you've only known for like a year or less, right? That that would increase that that factor. We are lucky right. in the fact that we play with people we've been known for 20 years, right? Right. But that doesn't or, change the fact that starting even starting the D and D campaigns, each one you're kind of like, ah. yeah, yeah. I mean, there are there's lots of people who meet people first time at the session one or session zero of the game. Like they they're meeting oh, yeah. them specifically through D and D or whatever they're playing. You know. Yeah. Um, so those are two big ones. I would say communication and. That for me is a big, it's a blanket term, but that includes storytelling skills. So actually just your verbiage, like what you're saying, how you're describing, but also like communicating with other humans. So like, are they picking up kind of like what you were saying, but in a more general sense, like, are they able to read pe- the their table and their players and see how, how they think about the game or how they, how they uh, are going to act in this game world? You know, how they're taking yeah. the information you're giving them and, and acting accordingly, you know. And then um, some of the other ones are just like, you know, improvisation and, you know, are they planning? You know, do they have stuff where it, it feels like it's not just kind of going off the cuff or it's inconsistent from session to session? Right, That's, right. That can be pretty frustrating for like, wait, wait, you told us this other thing last week. What, right. What's happening, you know? Um, and then just, uh, you know, if they're good at making calls, like just keeping the game flow going, I think, I think one thing, uh, as much as I love the Friday campaign, one thing that the Friday campaign doesn't have is game flow. So I, I really appreciate that when you can just keep the, keep everything moving, which is probably why. DM rulings has really become a thing so that it's for the sake of like keeping the game momentum going, you know? Oh, absolutely. And to be fair on the Friday campaign, we derail a lot just with conversation. Oh yeah, for sure. Like all the time we'll be in the middle of something and someone will bring up, Oh, did you guys see this show? And then we'll derail for 15 minutes about movies and then we'll get back. So we, and that's, happens all the time i'm guilty of it yeah there's no fixing it in that campaign it's yeah. just what it is yeah but i think part of the thing is that's why it's important to me as a, as as a dm is to keep that going in my own games because right, that's right. what i really want as a player yeah know? absolutely um and then the last one is world immersion slash building player agency into the campaign so like a dm looking at like their characters' backstories and their contacts and their T-biffs, so their traits, ideals, bonds, and flaws, and building that, you know, putting that into the world so that the the character that the player is playing is connected to that world. They're not just like, oh, this, I, I made a human fighter, and they run around, and they chop things. He's an orphan, he has no family, and he is perfect. He has no flaws. Goodbye! Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's, I mean, that sounds like a pretty easy character to play for someone's first experience jumping in. But I, 
I promise if you roll that character, which some people will, and that's cool. As soon as you act, if you get into playing, right, you're going to notice, oh, having flaws and having other things, a backstory where the DM can pull your character in. Right. Uh, creates a lot of fun for the, it's di- like we've been saying, it's dynamic. It, right. All of a sudden your character's confronted with emotional issues and throughout a battle, all of a sudden you have disadvantage creating a very fun storytelling moment for, I mean, let's be honest, if you succeed through that battle, you know, if your character right. lives through that, that creates a really fun story to tell afterwards. Sure. So then that creates that three things we were talking about. The DM set up kind of this scenario. The mm-hmm. players then are let loose to do mm-hmm. what they do. And then when it's done, they talk about the story afterwards. And then you have right. that. Three modes of that, play. Right. And that comes from mm-hmm. having those flaws and those backgrounds and having right. a DM that's aware of them. Right. But it is, it's a lot, man. It's a lot. Yeah. And. Players, if you think you're going to get out of the DM having leverage over you by not ha- by ha- being an orphan, just wait till you make friends with your first NPC. Just oh, yeah. wait. Just wait. Okay, flip side. What makes a bad DM, Ian? Oh, man. It's another <laughs> opinionated situation. Yeah, we're just, this is just, I mean, this is the opinion hour with Ian and Eric. This is My our opinion, opinions. That's all it is. Something that, a, like a bad DM, um, pulls up the curtain too many times of the, of the world. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, that, it, it really depends. Like if. If the if the GM is going to show you their dice rolls always, cool man. I I like that. If oh, they're going to yeah, hide, yeah. they're going to if they're going to hide their dice rolls, make sure it's something consistent. Hide the dice rolls cuz that's cool too. I like that. But I don't like oh. seeing them and then not seeing them, then seeing them and then not seeing right. them. That right. makes it weird. Right. Um so again, inconsistency from a a game master. Right is a problem uh to me uh what else would make a bad gm uh not being aware of basic rules could create right. situations um oh, it's such a railroading your players uh a lot like cuz i mean sometimes you get railroaded it happens so I'm not saying, oh, if you railroad once. No, I'm saying someone who always is railroading their players. To me, that's not cool. Someone that plays a dungeon master that's out to kill the players. Mm-hmm. To me, that's not fun. That's not right. a cool way to be. Um, and again, this is my opinion. Like A dungeon master that doesn't let things... Like be like like as they say the rule of cool. If you have right. a dungeon master that doesn't let there be a rule of cool like ever, well, like that's not a fun. That's not cool for me. Like that's right. a bad GM. Like that's right. not, I I don't want to play in that campaign because that's right. Yeah, but again, this is how I would want. Uh, what else would be bad to me? Uh, I 
Those those would be like the main things. Those are good ones. I like it. For I'm sure. sure that if I really sat down and like tried to grasp things, you, uh, you could always take notes. Yeah, I'm I'm mostly trying <laughs> I'm to like look at shit. I, mostly trying to think of things that I do, right? As a GM that I don't like is what I'm talking about. That I mm-hmm. want to correct about what I do. And because I've definitely broken the thing a lot, I've definitely railroaded my players a bunch of times when I was not really aware of how that would work. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, when you learn, like, that, those are, th- I'm just going to end there. I'm going to stop talking about my flaws <laughs> as a GM <laughs> because uh, I have a lot. I'm learning. So, right. Yeah. That's good. And again, but- uh, I feel like I need to reiterate, like, this is just our opinions, and we're, like, we're, like, journeyman DMs. I feel like we've put in a good chunk of time, but it's we haven't been playing for decades like we've been playing music, for instance, or something right. like that. So, um, a lot of the ones I wrote down for what makes a bad DM are similar to yours. One of the ones I had in good DMing was, that kind of goes along with one of uh, you saying, pulling back the curtain. So, I feel like good DMing is kind of invisible. Like, you don't really see, it kind of feels like magic from a player's perspective. Like, it just all works, and you're not really aware of all the work that was put into it. It just functions seemingly as it should, even if the DM is going off the cuff and, you know, rolling random tables and having to refer to their list of names and whatever else, right? Um, I had, right on the top, I had railroading players um, as well, and I wanted to differentiate that between a railroad campaign which i really think is just a linear campaign which i have no problem with railroading players i feel like is when players are playing according to the rules they're rolling their dice they succeed and then the dm is finding ways to manipulate that so they fail those kind of things where it's like and the players usually know if you're doing that yeah they may be like wait wait what what's happening here um, and uh, we're all guilty of it. And sometimes you're in a DM bind and you might have to do a little railroading. So I'm not saying never do it. But as a general rule, I feel like that's bad DMing. Like that that shows a lack of your preparation probably is what it yeah. is as a DM. Most likely, right? Yeah. And along but with that disregard for player agency as well. What were you going to say? No, I was going to say, I think that, that what you're talking about, that idea of railroading versus kind of like a railroad campaign there's mm-hmm. uh or like the the dm like you get in a bind uh to me still still talking about good dm bad dm a good dm or like a good dm quality would be able to take those like when a when a, if a player notices that you're doing that to mm-hmm. me that says that that's that's a bad dm moment and we all have a, right. like we said but right. a good dm would be able to pull that off without you realizing that what was going on was not good. Like he needed to change something because of what you were doing. And that to me ties into like, you know, improv, seeing Mm -hmm. what people want, you know, being able to like bend and move with your story that you're trying to convey while your players burn it to the ground. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. not stopping player agency at the same time. 
mm-hmm. as wanting to deliver a story or a th- something at that moment. Right. I got I got and lost in that. I'm sorry. No, you're good. No, I think it makes sense. And there are things, there are rules that seem railroady that aren't. Like for instance, in the monster manual, the monster's hit points. That's the average. So you can roll. You can actually take like let's say it's. 10d12 for some giant or something, right? Right. It gives you the average, but you can roll for that. And like, for instance, Jim Davis over at uh, WebDM, for like smaller monsters, he'll roll right as they get hit. Like he'll he'll do it as needed and that kind of thing. So that can seem railroady, but I don't think it is. I think it's when, like for instance, if you're really excited about bringing out some monster and the players just steamroll it and so you start manipulating things because the the fight is not going how you wanted it to go you know those kind of things right so well if uh, you're good you would be able to hide that from the players with preparation like if they just smash it down you'd be like you know what i'm not gonna let them know that they already killed it (laughs) i'm gonna extend its hit points put in some put in some minions or Right. Fluff it out. Don't just have the one monster, especially in fifth edition. It's not really designed for a party against one big monster. You have yeah, to I love I love the minions thing. That's fun. Yeah. But that's a like different conversation. Too. Sorry. Yes. No, you're good. Uh, and again, this is something you said too. Uh, antagonistic DMing. Some people really. I've never played in this, and I don't think I would have fun. Some people really like antagonistic DMing. So that's like where the DM is out to get you. And if that's what you want, more power to you. But for me, that would feel, for the game I want, that would feel bad. I don't want, I don't, I want the DM there to be in support of the players having a good experience, not them there like, okay, I'm really going to try to kill your character the whole time. That just right. feels, I'm going to be metagaming the whole time doing that. And stressed, oh, yeah. If you're, you know? if you're going to try and kill me, I'm going to metagame the shit out of this because I don't want to yeah. die. Yeah. Because now you're playing another game, game, which is us versus the DM, not, our PCs in this world exploring the adventure, you know? Yeah. It's us versus God all of a sudden. Yeah. Cause God yeah. has full awareness of everything. Yeah. And I don't in this game, but that's the thing of D and D is I, my character, I can do whatever I want as Ian to help yeah. my character. Now, if God's going to try and fuck me. Yeah. Yeah. Some people, like I said, some people like yeah. it and probably oh, yeah, sure. there are always exceptions to all of these rules um but that's just for me and i've um i've had some pretty bad experiences especially in third edition with just different things not necessarily even um dms but it can you know i don't like antagonistic playing but that's just me um along kind of with that valuing rules over players and also player blaming like if there's an issue it's the player's fault kind of thing like it's never what the dm where i feel like the dm kind of they don't control everything but they set the precedent of the table like how we're gonna how people are gonna treat each other what the house rules are what's kind of socially expected i feel like that's the dm is gonna set the tone for your your player group you know mm-hmm. yeah and then the last two are uh, along together which is lack of planning which is, I mean, if you're really experienced, you may not need to plan. I know a lot of, like, um, DMs who've been playing for decades, they kind of have a repertoire of stuff they can just pull out, like a goblin encounter. So they may not need to plan in the same way. 
So that that varies from DM to DM, I'm sure. But also a lack of grasp on the rule set or mechanics you're using. Like so if you don't really understand how combat works and you're running a combat, your players are going to have a bad time and you're probably going to have yeah. a bad time. It's not going to be fun. So that's 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 all I had for that. That's what I had. Well, that's that's right some there. good stuff right there. I mean, yeah. Applying all of these things to D&D or any game if you're just starting out or you're listening to this for inspiration. Just doing it is really key. And doing it with people that are going to be okay with the stumbling because any, I mean, even if you're like a seasoned professional DM, GM, whatever... And you're all of a sudden GMing for a group of people that have never played ever in their life. This is the first time they've ever even done anything with D&D. They've, they've played video games, but they've never played D&D. You, you're going to need to be okay with those people stumbling all over the game because they have no idea right. what it is. So right. it's, you know. Yeah. Being cool with people is, I mean, I think that's another big aspect of D&D and how it has created friendships outside. I mean, not with our, within our group, we were already friends, but is that whole thing of being cool with just everyone learning, oh, this is, this is how you do this. Oh, this is cool. Okay. Yeah. Right. I'm having a good time here. Let's, you know, everyone wants to have a good time, so let's make it a good time. Right. Well, the, the cliche is this might be changing because tabletop RPGs in general and D&D specifically is so much more popular. Um, but most of the time, everybody wants to play and nobody wants to DM. So if you're first-time DM and all your players are first-time players, it's really an opportunity, again, to set the tone and be like, hey, we're all figuring this out together. So be patient with me. I'm going to be patient with you, and we'll learn as we go. And that's a great oh, yeah. environment just to encourage, like, learning by doing. Again, yeah. you know, and it'll, you that'll a inspire a lot of creativity as well. Yeah. yeah. People having fun, getting wild with things, bending rules, making rules, having, you know, having a good time with it. If everyone's there to have a good time, make it fun. Like, if you want to, if you've never played before and you're like, let's everyone start out at level five and let's just do a bunch of combat to see what it's like. Hey, mm-hmm. cool, man. That's you yeah. will learn about combat and what type of things can synergize with each other. Like, Absolutely. or if, if you don't have anyone to play with and you're just wondering, you know, what is it like, you know, to have these characters make an account in roll 20, it's free and just it start creating yeah. characters. Just, they yeah. have a little character mancer and just start picking things. And then, in the thing, you can start rolling the dice and seeing, like, what does this attack look like? Like, what does this mean when they say do that? So click it, and it'll roll right. dice for you. Right. And, and you could it, even do uh, – I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that was, that's – you good. You, I mean, if you go to roll 20, you can also create a character in D&D Beyond. I personally oh, yeah, that's true. don't like D&D Beyond very much, but a lot of people use it and, and love it. Um, but roll 20 essentially has the same thing. You can roll dice. Um, Roll twenty is nice because even with if you haven't bought any of the books, um, you can use the SRD rules of monsters. So you could pull out a goblin, have your character fight the goblin, see what happens. Just roll yeah. for both of them, yeah, move just them around. 
Yeah. See what goes on. It's just kind of like playing chess against yourself. You get an idea of, oh, this is what happens when I swing my sword with a you know a plus two attack. Yep. Against a goblin. Oh, that that takes him out. I just killed that goblin almost in one hit. You know, kind of thing. Yeah. It's. So. You know, it's just a way to learn. You know, to, to play around if you don't want to. Because D and D can definitely bring you out of yourself, and some people they're shy and they're not really sure what to do. So you know, experiment a little, go play around with that type of thing, so you're a little bit more comfortable. Right. You know, or if you know people that play, most of the time, uh, if you ask one of your friends that plays, they're they're gonna be like, oh yeah, I can talk to you about D and D for sure. You may not be able to get in on their session because sessions are usually pretty, everybody like, wants to play. Yeah, right everyone now. Yeah. adding people yeah. like even our Friday campaign sometimes has like nine players or eight players, and that's a it's lot. Big. Yeah, it's bloated. And so, like, if you get like ten people, that's a lot of players, man. And yeah. like, let's say each person gets five minutes to their turn. That's that's an hour for everybody to have a turn. Yeah, and that's just not consistent to have five minutes a turn. Sometimes it's a lot more. Sometimes it's it, not. But. It averages out though, because some people are really prepared and they go right away, and then some people are like, "I didn't prepare." Wait, what does my stuff do? I don't know. Right. Let's read through everything. <laughs> Shit. Ah, uh, hey DM, can you look up this thing for me? No, just go. Just do think, your turn. Yeah, exactly. I think the big thing is is just do it. And because you don't know the rules, you'll you'll make risks and you'll make assumptions that you wouldn't otherwise do, right. which uh, which is really good. It can lead you to stuff. And if you have fun, that's all that really matters. If yeah, you had a good time, you were playing, uh, you were playing an RPG. Maybe it didn't really resemble D and D, but that's fine in my book. Right. Like, if it if you rolled dice and you had a good time, who cares? Yeah, it's a good time. That's what it's meant to be. It's a fun time. Yeah. So I, mean, I think that you know, every, every everything I've read from the uh, the little brown books sh- sh- says that uh, I mean that's what they did is they just kind of figured it out as they went along originally anyways you know well that's not the re- what I read in the big book it said that D and D is of Satan oh yeah there are, there are those two I didn't realize you were one why I'm, do you love Satan is that why you're playing are you trying to be closer to him well. You or her. The, I don't know what Satan's you know, is. You know what the truth is. You know I the do? truth. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Ian, I think you brushed up on a important point, which a lot of this is about how un, how willing are you to be uncomfortable? Like how uncomfortable oh, are yeah. you willing to be? And finding that threshold, a lot of, especially like, let's say old school nerds, they weren't going to be doing voices for their characters or acting, you know, it's going to be very descriptive and kind of removed and there's nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with that. Oh no, not at all. Get started and, and do, you know, what works for you. Yeah, absolutely. Some people do voices. Some don't. Sometimes my character does a voice. Sometimes he doesn't. It's, I do what I want to do when I play D and D each time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got super anxious, like I talked about last episode, and so it took me a long time to really get into doing voices and stuff, but I feel like um, I, I have way better sessions if I really cut loose and like oh, yeah. push through that discomfort, you know, and, and uh, 
and do all the things, all the weird voices and stuff. And I think that that you're, inspires. You're, you're, go ahead. It inspires the, the people you're with to come out of their shells a little come bit out more of their sometimes, shells, yeah. even if it's yeah. just a touch or a tiny bit or a lot. It, the more fun someone's having, the more fun the other players want to have. So, for sure, it's a big being. I mean, that's like a whole another subject of what's it mean to be a good player? Like, what's a oh, bad player? Totally. What's totally. a good player? And that seems like, oh, that seems like a weird thing to talk about. What, you know, what does a bad player? Well, I mean, it's pretty hard to be a bad player. Because I don't think there's a lot of ways to play D&D and they're all okay. Like, they're all acceptable. But there are certain things that you just shouldn't do when playing D&D, typically. Well, there's... I think there's bad player in terms of a lot of people think like, oh, I'm a bad player because I don't know things or I no. ha- I don't have experience where being a bad player has more to do with, okay, how are you affecting the other people at the table? Exactly. Like it's that it's, I call it the second game. It's the social game that you're all playing just as humans sitting around a table telling stories. Right. Like, are you ruining it for other people? That could that could be them, but it's probably you, you know, right. Like it could and just be that they're just a jerk and they, they hate the way you play or something, but right. most likely it's something you're doing at the table. Yeah. You know? And it's not, it's typically like if your character is just doing character things and you're making choices that are doing things and their characters are reacting to that, that's not what I'm talking. I'm talking about people that are consistently, almost breaking the game on purpose right all the time that's that to me would be a it's that's that's not really a fun player that is breaking the game and derailing things on purpose all of the time uh when the other players are consistently trying to get things done that would be like a bad player move i guess it would come down to understanding people again like what yeah what's going to be accepted socially because I usually play characters that are, uh, they're not mean, but they're not nice. Right. Uh, so that character, so he reacts typically to other characters with gruffness or attitude. And Derision. Yeah. Uh, there definitely was a session once where a person got frustrated because of this, because they weren't really aware that my key, I was just being a character. I wasn't really feeling the way I was feeling and I wasn't saying anything or doing anything that was serious. Right. Um, and once they understood that, they were like, Oh, all right, cool. That's, that's fine. Then that makes more sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, it never was a problem after that. They understood my type of character that plays and they're like, Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Right, right. So, again, communication, like you said, is a huge thing as a good right. GM. And that uh, that problem was solved through the GM at that table, kind of stopping things and, like, addressing it. And right. uh, we resolved it. And it was, you know, we moved forward. It was fine. It was, uh, yeah, yeah. It was a learning experience because... You know, sometimes you're playing with strangers and they don't know you as well as other people do. 
Right, and and I think that's another thing with players and DMs is like, how do you handle when things do break down? Because they might, especially if you're playing with people you don't know very well and you say the wrong thing in the wrong tone of voice for them. They may not take kindly, but are you able to sit down and just talk through it and be like, oh, I didn't realize I was being a dick. I'm sorry. You know, the just simple human things. Right. Oh, absolutely. Some people aren't good at it. And so that's that's something to know. Yeah. You know? With and with bad players it seems more like okay everybody, we're gonna play this like politic, like, you know, social situation D and D campaign where it's all about like charisma checks and um social relationships and then Billy makes, you know, Thork the barbarian and he keeps murdering everybody <laughs> and everyone's like, What's happening? And he's like, This I'm just playing my character. It's like, well, your character is terrible for this campaign. So I think things like that, a lot of it is contextual. Like, what kind of campaign are you playing? Right. And who are you playing with? You know? Because Thork is, would be great, like, for instance, in the Conan campaign. Oh, yeah. Go, absolutely. Thork. Murder. Just murder everything you see. Clear our path. You know? Yeah. So, that's good. That Any good. other thoughts about that? I have a million, but I mean, that's that's good for now. That's all that's I got right. for now. So I think he, you would agree with this, Ian. Um, DMing, d- being a DM and doing the things that DMs do, it feels like an art form. Like it feels like something that's a creative endeavor. Oh, yeah. Um, and I don't remember how I got on this tangent, but I started looking up like improvisation and just what it means, like the et- etymology of it, and also synonyms. So the synonyms for impro- improvise or improvisation are extemporize, impromptu, off the cuff, spontaneous, etc. Um, we we pr- I mean it's a pretty well known word, but the definition again from uh, Cambridge uh, improvisation to combo- compose or uh, and perform or deliver without previous preparation. Um, extemporize, to improvise an acceptance speech. Uh, to compose, uh, play, recite, or sing. And then in parentheses, verse, music, etc. On the spur of the moment. To make, provide, or arrange from whatever materials are readily available. So we improvise dinner from yesterday's leftovers. And then I... I'm not really familiar with extemporize as well. So extempore is like the the standard usage word thing. Um, but again, spurred of the moment uh, without premeditation or preparation. So it's interesting looking these up because it's kind of like DMs straddle this tension between planning, like tons of preparation. If you listen to DMs talk, they are going to be talking about prep. A lot, like random tables, you know, um, having your set pieces. So, what maps are your players going to be? What cities are they going to? Are they in the wilderness? Hex crawls, yada yada yada. But you have prep on one side, and then you have improvisation, which means you're just going by the seat of your pants. You just have to, and a lot of that seat of the pants again comes from, I think, uh, players not doing what you thought they would do. You know. Yeah. Which is always. Always. So I All mean the time. once in a while they do you're like, Holy shit, they did what I wanted. Right. 
but that's like when that happens it's like shocking almost right you're like oh shit what do i do now i planned for this and i think after a while you know if you do certain like if if the players know they have an incentive for making choice b instead of a you know you can set that up and be like oh, they'll most likely choose this i don't know specifically what they're going to do to get there but they're most likely going to go after goal b because i gave them like uh, there there's a pile of gold and some magic items at the end or something right. like they'll probably it's an obvious choice not guaranteed right. whatever the hook is you gave them whatever the hook they is. seem to be interested in it yeah yeah for sure that's good i think yeah. that uh that's quite a quite a bit there yeah new york okay so I think last last thing um, we'll see how long this takes. I always have more, but no, I, mm, we'll no. keep it. We'll keep it sweet. Um, let's plan a session for no. our campaign that we started no. building. We're not doing that. No, well, we're we not doing do that. that. We can do that. Welcome, world. The Ian is also known as Mister No. We'll be like, hey, Ian, you want to do this? No, I don't. How about this? Nope. I don't like it. Do you want to do anything? No, I don't. Okay. that's That doesn't leave me a lot of room. I don't know what to and do about that. Then it's like, fine, we'll do it. What do you want? What do you want? Right. I want to do this. All right, let's do it. Fine. No, then it starts over. What? Okay, what do you want? I want this. No. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, I am I am known to be difficult. Um. Okay, session one. Well, first thing, let's establish, like, if we're going to prep a session... I want uh -huh. a few parameters established for what the session we're prepping is. How many PCs are going to be playing hypothetically? Let's just say four. We'll All just right, go with like, like the four. standard amount, quote unquote. Cool. And what level are we starting them at? Ooh, I would say level one. Oh, okay. Let's start them out nice and squishy. And and uh, this and is plan session one is going to be one in an epic for the most part, linear campaign. So we're building off the campaign world we did in episode one, I figured. Okay. Like, let's say we had, we don't have everything set in stone, but players are raring to go, and we're like, you know what, we have enough just to get started. And then okay. plan out the campaign now, as we Do we, we want to just establish what the players are, or are we just saying there's four PCs? Four doesn't PCs. matter. Just kind of matter. Yeah. Basic classes. Basic classes. Um, and this is in the world where they're the part of that magisterium group right they're in the they're in the gnostic nightmare the gnostic nightmare yeah that's, the demiurge has the little bubble right. thing yeah yeah let's yeah, that's yeah. the name of the campaign then okay is the you have gnostic to spell nightmare. gnostic differently to throw off the, the literate players i think like it just needs to be n-o-s-t-i-c <laughs> so there's no g on it no so it's g? like what okay. Or put a K at the beginning. There you go. Gnostic. <laughs> Gnostic. It's French, guys. It's French. It's related to night. Okay. So I would say that they... Th I'm going to go... Because like I said in the last episode when we were planning this, you know, there's you're one of those people that doesn't want this typical. That doesn't want the standard thing that's right. repeated right. a lot. But my, my combat to that is, well, what if the players you're playing with have never done that before? They've never got to experience that. So for them, it's not gauge. Is that the right word? 
gauche. I think. It's not gauche. It's, it's not, not bourgeois. It's not yeah. So I would say <laughs> almost like start with the characters uh going to eat at the inn or the tavern to start their first day where they have to like yeah, that's just where they will kind of go is the tavern first because mm-hmm. it's their first mm-hmm. day here in this town as the uh, uh what do we even call them? They're what are they Uh we could just call them inquisitors for now just as a placeholder. That'll work. Inquisitors yeah. for this little town. What's the let's let's establish how big the town is then. How big is it? I don't know, probably like a couple thousand. Ooh, that's a bit. I was thinking a couple hundred, but a couple thousand. So you want to go like you want to go Hamlet style? No, I think Hamlet style makes it a little too Hamlet style. Podunky. I think having them be kind of part of like maybe there's a group of fourteen to sixteen of the inquisitors that kind of run shifts Mm -hmm. at this, or they're like in different outposts that run shifts. At a few thousand town. So there's, okay. you know, basic commodities and goods within this place. Right. That the, the players can start out going wherever they need to in there. So they have to, so they wake up and they need to be, they need to go report to their outpost at a certain time. So right. that gives okay. them X amount of time to go wander the city to collect anything they think they might need. Gotcha. So... That's that's and that uh, that's a good example of like if we're doing that, my brain would be like, okay, so I need to build out how do the shifts work? Like how long do they stay in the city? And then how when do they switch out? Is it every couple of weeks? Is it like a garrison or an outpost? And that, not that we have to do that now, but that would be like, ooh, okay, I need to know that so game time is gonna pass and then I can you know I can track how many days it's been and then know when they're supposed to actually leave that post that kind well, of Well there's let's let's establish let's say that there's So let's say that there's two there's like a northwest and a southeast outpost, okay? Mm-hmm. And they're manned basically by two groups of like four. Those so it's eight to each one. Now there's a central location that you report to, but mm-hmm. those are where the like that's where you hang out. And the shifts are one week, so you're on one week on, one week off, to these the with these like four man outposts. Okay. And you're they're outside of the city, and they're communicated with by some sort of bird, like hawks or bird or owls or some sort of. Owls Animal. are the slowest flying bird. Yeah, but they're also the quietest. So I guess, yeah, hawks would be a good one because they're pretty quick. Um, but that's how they're communicated with, like, as they're out there kind of sending little tiny, like, two-group patrols to kind of wander this little area. Right. If they get information of something that they need to go check out within the city, if it's right. in their area, they go check it out. But if other than that, anything that they they get, they report and send back each day with the hawk. So there's going to be mean, like a little bird area for it. You could also do like sending spells too. Yeah, but I like the idea of the birds. That's funner want, to me. You want like a little uh, an aviary where there's like a yeah, like so a part of the culture. 
Right. Well, the, the characters, you might have somebody that bonds with like they really like one of the hawks or something and you let them kind of try and befriend this one and then you can Cast kill it find later. familiar on it and be like, you're my friend. Right. And then We're kill it later because it'll be great. All right. That's true. You, you could do that. Um, but that'll also allow like, I mean, you could have a, a that could be like your first few sessions where they do a shift at this one and then they're off for a week and then they go do a shift at the other one and then they're off for a week. But that yeah. gives you a, the first session would be them reporting for day one of their shift. Nice. Um, if they're, if they're in four person teams, so assuming it seems like it's never four, it's always like a little, you're going to have more than four or less than four that want to play. Right. But it's, it seems like it's hard to get it at four. I guess well, the yeah. Sunday campaign has been four. Well, we also said that this this the whole concept is we have four PCs. I mean, that's just ideal for right. Like that's what the game is intended for, as far as how the mechanics work. Right. Um, you could say, okay, well, each team is composed of like you have a fighter type, and you have to have a caster type. Like mm -hmm. maybe there's some kind of mandate that says each squad has this, this, that, and the other thing. Right, that would work. General, so like. Because, again, I think it'd be cool if you had, like, instead of barbarians necessarily, let's say you're homebrewing again, you have the berserker class. So if you want to be, like, a city barbarian, you can still have the rage and stuff, but you fucking grew up, like, bare-knuckle boxing in taverns and stuff. Right, you right. Know, those kind of things. So um, the uh, I like that. The thing I was thinking of is the first session, and again, this is everybody's had their zero session, so they they know their character a little bit. Their first session is getting called into this emergency meeting by like the higher up, first day on the job, and they're like, "Hey, something we got to report that something bad is going on in outpost, southern outpost. You need to go now." So there's a short scene of like immediacy. You need to leave, and then they're on the road. And you could do some random tables or, you know, see if something happens. Nothing big. Like, so if there's a combat, it's very small. Right. And then by the time they get to the town or the outpost, you have your big encounter All right. for the session. Well, so it's that taking, taking more time for them to get there, basically, right. is what I would well, do. I think that still works within the same framework yeah, of what yeah. I was saying. Uh, it just it adjusts things a little bit to create that urgency rather than letting them right. meander. Yeah, and that's, again, not right or wrong. That's how I'm right, always right. thinking is like, okay, how can I give manufacture a little bit of urgency for players who have no investment? Right. Or very little. They have a little maybe from the zero sesh. And then I'm always thinking, again, with the fact that the players are going to derail everything in mind, but like ideally, where do I want this session to end? Where would I like it to end if I had my choice? Mm -hmm. I'm like, ooh, either right at the middle of that encounter when, like, the monster hits one of the party and it seems like maybe they died, end it. Or right at the end of the encounter. Right, so that's right. like, that gives me a goal, even if it's completely unrealistic and it's not going to happen, to kind of be like, this is where the momentum is heading for me. Yeah, I like that. But again, you I like the outposts. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, with, uh, with your idea, you could also, once they... This report, once they get there, you could say that like one of the the one of the group, one of the people from the group that patrols the south that you exchange with now, 
Mm-hmm. One of them is like down. Right. Like they're injured or dead, whatever you want to do. So like when you get there, that creates all of a sudden even more like, oh shit. Right. Something's going on. Right. You could you could have one of the squads missing too. Right, that would work. Like yeah, like maybe yeah. one of the patrols went out the twos because they'd go in twos. Yeah, yeah. One of them's out and like hasn't come back missing, and hasn't yeah. reported back yet. And maybe the monster you fight has a piece of their uniform or something on them right. as a clue. And you could put like you could do a cool two d six rumors table like the villagers like you hear little whispers of people saying like, oh I heard that they were taken by the ghosts of the Moors or whatever. Or, you want to yeah, put in there, or like you know? going in line with the uh, the whole magic thing. Maybe the there's rumors that there's somebody using magic out just basically on the edge of town, like a little area, right. and it's real basic magic. But they've what they've captured the 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 scouting group because they're right. gonna try and do something with magic that's way above their status in right. life, way above their, their pay grade, way their, above uh, their top secret clearance. So, so you could yeah, have like that. that you could have that ritual even going down, and if the players don't make a move, like when they find out the squad's missing, that's gonna right. happen anyway. But right, if they leave a, immediately, a clock for it. right, they could leave yeah. immediately and go interrupt it and save the, the town's guards. Right. Or if they wait too long, the magic goes off, creates a bigger urgency. Then they have to go confront it and then be right. like, oh, two of the dudes are dead. But they don't know as players, right. you wouldn't know that you had the option to save them. Right, right. And it's it's not good or bad if you don't or do save them. It doesn't matter. It's but a scenario. You- if you do save them, maybe like if they really you reward the players who really pay attention. If they do yeah. save them, maybe they get a little extra information as right. to what's going on. Like they saw, like these priests are part of something bigger. Like that's leading right. to like you get to else. hear what the what the what that magic user was saying to the guards right before he killed that. them. Yeah. Yeah. If you save them, so that gives yeah. you a little more insight. But if they die. You don't get to know that, but you still get other information to lead you to what you want to know. Yeah. And I don't think either of us intended this, but it's kind of this already this session is showing you how we're planning it. It's kind of the emergent property of, of this campaign is kind of like almost the PCs are solving a mystery. Mm. You know, so I want to say, again, I got this info from WebDM, but... uh uh, it might be Gumshoe or it might be the Alexandrian blog, but they talk about the three clue rule. So don't assume your players are going to find the one clue you plant. So you could put like three. So one, if they save the the two soldiers mm-hmm. and they, they have information, one that's like in the bushes and then one that's like the arcane diagrammer. You, know, you, can, right. put, you can sprinkle them salt bay style. Uh, around nice. the uh, <laughs> around the things, so that's pretty good. I want to play this session. Sounds fun. Yeah, and that Somebody that first buddy. encounter could be pretty. Like you could give the players a good uh, a good smack around. Give some minions. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially if they show up late and the players the the scouts are the the patrols dead. Mm-hmm. You could have there be like a bunch of little like methods or something or some right. little weird something thing. magical 
and then there's the actual caster that you'd have to face off with. Right. Um, or if you were there in time, then there's not as many minions, uh, so the encounter might be a little bit easier. Right. Um, there's there's so many options yeah. based yeah. on like what the players do. Like, for fucking well, like, who knows? I like the clock because you can just do that, and then the players can do what they do. Yeah. My thing is because, and we both know this, you're gonna have to lay heavy clues down that there's some kind of urgency, or else yeah. they won't know. They like you have to make it more obvious than you feel like it should. So maybe a lot of the rumors are heavy with like, you know, um, rumblings and grumblings about some kind of ritual taking place or some dark right. magician off in the boonies or stuff to kind of be able to get the PCs a little worried. You mm-hmm. know, my other my mind also goes to like the the monster you fight in the town that has like the minions and stuff. Like, what signs does it have that it's been affected by magic? Like, right. what changes take place? Because it's a good opportunity to be, for me, it's like, oh, I've never made a D100 table. Maybe you could make, a, make, like, a random table for, like, the effects that happen when you right. use magic, you know, and give it that demonic flavor. So, yeah. that's a well, good I outline. I think that's good. Yeah. I like it. I, that's enough... That's a, like as a basic understanding of what your session's going to include, that mm-hmm. would be like your framework. Right. And so you'd want to like say, okay, in my brain, you definitely want to like flesh out maybe a shop or two of some right. sort because the yeah. players may engage in something like that before they go out. If they have uh, gold, even, yeah. Right. Yeah. And so sure. flesh out just two. Like you don't need to make them anything. Like it doesn't matter. The players, wherever they choose to go, that's mm-hmm. the shop they're going to. It doesn't, mm-hmm. no, it doesn't matter. And mm-hmm. then if they go to another one, it's just whatever the second one is. Right. Um, and then I'm sure, you know, if you create enough urgency, they're probably not going to have time to go to a third shop. Probably. Uh, even two is a bit much. Two is the backup. One shop's probably enough if you have created urgency. Yeah. And depending upon, sometimes as a DM, you might be like, okay, I'm just going to let them kind of strategize and talk, and it's not it's not real time. But sometimes you might be like, okay, your conversation is in real time right now, so it's time, you know, kind of signaling that this is time sensitive, what you're doing. Right, you absolutely. So, so yeah, that's, so, that would be some stuff you'd have to flesh out. A few NPCs yeah. that they may encounter, or if they just start talking to people, or if they try right. to talk to the people they hear the, the rumors from. Right. You'll want names. Names are... We like to... All of us now that DM, anytime we're playing in a game where one of our friends is DMing, we are definitely going to like grill them about a name. The minute someone's come up, one of us is going to be like, what's their name? Yeah, just to we, give them shit. Yeah, just to give them a bunch of guff because the name thing is... It can create some of your most beloved creatures or someone someone hates. Yeah. And that's a good thing to talk about now. There's certain lists that you're, as a, if you're starting up DMing, you're always going to want to have. And you'll hear every DM talk about this. Mercer talks about it. Colville talks about it. Um, Is a list of names. Just go to fantasynamegenerator.com. 
and just click on they have a they have orc names and giant names and town names and this you can pull from whatever just, yeah but just have them. three pages of like bulleted names so you yep. can just look at that and be like uh oh, this his is name this is vin jelvin he's yep. an elf um uh he makes glasses there you go um, and make sure you note that because yeah what an immersive moment will be is if this character comes back and you have consistency about what his job is, like what he does. Right. And a little piece of his personality. It could be a simple D10 table, or if you just make it up, it's fine. Right. Just write two words. Right. Gruff, uh, kind. Boom. And the, He's a gruff, kind sim- dude. Yeah. And the simpler it is, the better it is. You could also do like, is there some mannerism Yeah. that they have? And again, it's so cliche, but this is all in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Like these yep. kind of ideas, not necessarily the list of names, which is insane to me because that seems like well, one some of the, of best the skills other not talked as about. some of the other stuff has names in the back appendixes. Right, and stuff. they do. Yeah, some of the appendices, um, which which is nice. I think Xanathar's maybe one of those. Yeah, there's a few that have yeah. a bunch of name lists in um, the back and stuff. So it's in there, but again, if you're wanting to get started, don't. Don't wait to read the books because it's hard. D and D books are really hard to read straight through. I've done it. I'm glad I did it, but it's it's hard. It's yeah. hard to do. You'll fall have them a lot. or have access to them. Have access to them. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Again, you can buy them on D and D Beyond. You can buy them on Roll Twenty. Yeah. Um, I found you out can. you can. Have you looked at the compendium in Roll Twenty? Like well, outside I know of they, the table. Yeah, I know that they uh, modified it so you could like. It was an you can e- read easier them. way to read through them, yeah. Way easier. Way, yeah. way better. So props to Roll20 for that. So there are certain lists that you're going to want to always have. Some of that will change depending upon what you're doing. But another one, and I use a random generator. I do not remember the the uh, the web address. I will put it in the comments or on the, the doobly-doo is what they call it on YouTube, I guess. So I'll put Did it you just in, say the doobly do. That's what. That's literally the technical term for all the description stuff below the video. The doobly do. That's called the doobly do. I do not lie. That's literally what's called. I looked it up because I'm like, that's not true. Nope, it's totally true. It's, it's see now the that right there. Do. If you would be like, oh yeah, they added that word to the dictionary. That to me, I'd be like, that's that's fair. That's yeah. a new word. <laughs> doobly yeah. do. It sounds like a programmer who, or graphic designer just put in a gibberish. Yeah, word, it sounds like something that we'd say, like, oh, it's on the flippler over yeah, there, the, the flippity-bang. That's uh, cool. I'll put it in the flippity-bang. I will so, put yeah, it'll some be in the links in wherever you're listening to this at, or we don't, you know, once we get a website or whatever. Um, but it has a bunch of random tables, so I'll keep a random weather table there always. You can make oh, these nice. up, too. Really simple. Yeah. You could have, like, stormy, clear, rain, snow wind maybe have unusual weather you know and um good rule of thumb if you're math deficient like me like just do 2d6 table and put the extreme stuff on the end so like 2 and 12 put your really crazy stuff and put the stuff you want to happen more in the middle it's 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 it'll uh, work it's a good way 2d6 tables are great they're really great they they make a nice bell curve some people hate them I've, i've seen memes recently like uh 1d12 table versus 2d6 and like only you villains use 2d6 well see that's the thing is like the, the great axe is a 1d12 
right. or the great sword is 2d6. Now, right. like, which do you want to roll? I want to roll 2d6 because it's going to roll consistently higher than Were you going to get that D12. nice medium in the middle of the yeah. bell, so probably a 7 or 8, right. where but the 12, it's all fair game. Yep. Yeah. Speaking right. of which, I'm going to branch off real quick. One of no. the, no. And I'm not going to say who or no. anything. No. One of the players in your, one of your campaigns, their character is a mess. I looked at it and was like, <laughs> first of all, you have too many feats and you have too many uh, ability score increases. And right. holy shit, why does your great axe do 2d12? What the right. hell is that? Right. And so I'm like, I, you know, since it's your game, I was like, man, I don't know what Eric okayed for this, so I'm not going to say anything right. about it, like, in-game right. or anything, because I'm like, it's not my problem. Well, I may ask you about the ASI. There's no, I haven't okayed any extra ASI, but we'll... Oh, well, what blows my mind is this this character does this certain thing during combat, and I'm like, you don't get to do it that many times. That's insane. Right. Um. Anyways. Right. So, um, the next thing after, like, and again, you can plan however you want. I honestly, every time I plan, I kind of feel like it's a different thing. Um, so these are just general guidelines, but I've really found just a bulleted outline of like, okay, where, if I'm sitting down to run it, where do I want the first scene to be? Like when we first start playing, where are they at? You know, asking questions. Okay. Where do I want it to end? Just basic questions will really help define what you actually need to plan because yep. i used to write like two pages of summary like at literary style like okay this is what they do this is where they go and this is why and didn't use any of it and you can't really you're not in a headspace where you can read tons of paragraphs when you're dming either you right. need like quick like just give me the, the little chunk so bulleted lists i found to be really helpful so once you have the outline I start thinking about actual uh, set pieces. And what I mean by that is like the maps, if you're being tactical. If you're doing theater of the mind combat, it doesn't really matter as much. Just make sure you can describe the area. But for instance, our, we kind of have three, maybe three set pieces. Maybe the, head, the headquarters where they get sent out. But that could be theater of the mind. The outpost, mm -hmm. right, if they're going to fight there. And also... That the ending, even if they don't get there, like if they if they pick up on the clues and they go go find the missing soldiers, that kind of thing, and then right. maybe a random battle uh, map or a like a road in nature, like for if they if they get get an encounter right on the way to the outpost. So it's like three to four, something like that. Yeah, and that's so especially you, might, if you, you, you may not even use some of that you stuff. May not, yeah. But those are the things you know, like random battle map, road, maybe headquarters, outpost, and then your your final big bad for the session or two that you're mm -hmm. playing. And the nice thing is if you don't get through all of it, you have your next session planned. Yeah. So you've already you've done you you front loaded a bunch of your work. Um and then like if you're doing a playing on roll twenty on a virtual tabletop, you know what maps to look for. Um, that kind of stuff. So it gives it more clarity. Um, would you add anything to that? Ian? I mean, it's as far as first session prep, I mean, that's pretty good. 
It's pretty good. And mm-hmm. how like that actually goes down. Like what, what are you doing? How are you doing it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. What, what do you actually do? Cause I mean, it's, it's daunting when you're trying to do it for your first time to not know what to do. Like what's right. the, the actual procedure for starting your planning? Like, right. Right. Um, and this is just a way to do it. You know, you, yeah, if you yeah. want to start in the middle and work forward and backwards, go for it, man. That's sweet. But I'm in a few Facebook groups that are like dungeon master oriented or game master oriented. And there's at least three to five posts a week with people talking about, Hey, I'm doing my very first DM experience. Right. Uh, anyone have any advice for me? This is what we're doing. Right. Um, so it's, I think that there's a lot of people that may find you this use in hearing how a person does go set up their first one to give them their own ideas. Right. Exactly. And you're going to have to find your own way into it. Like, um, and the, that's why we keep saying just get started because doing the first thing that comes to mind, like, I don't know, I guess I'll need a battle map. Like maybe you find it really makes sense of, Oh, if I get my tactical battle maps first, everything makes sense for right. me doing like a summary and kind of like bullets of like, here's all the things I need makes it clearer like where to spend my time, especially yeah, yeah. if I have to plan day of, um, which happens a lot. Um, it just makes it a little clearer. So whatever makes sense to you, do it. Yeah. And absolutely. some things will work and some things won't. And, and the mistakes are just as valuable, if not more so than the successes, because it tells you what not to do that kind of thing. So I think the next thing on the list, this is something I'm newer to, but I found really useful, are your random tables. Hmm. Um, so things for weather, monsters, or encounters. I really like just saying encounters because I think it's fun to have some things that are not necessarily combat, not going to be combat, or monsters that aren't you don't necessarily need to, to fight or have the PCs uh, kill is fun. You know, like like a really grumpy ogre. That's not like not running out of the bushes trying to club the PCs, but maybe he has like a splinter in his toe and right. he's sitting or he's over on blocking the, the way and right shouting insults at the PCs. Right, you know, yeah. just throwing rocks at them and not big boulders, just rocks, just yeah. hitting them yeah. for like two points of damage constantly as they're trying to get by. Right. Yep. Um, and then rumor tables. So if you're in a town area having, especially if you're doing more open-ended, this is more important. But like if you go into the tavern, the townsfolk are talking about things and gossiping and you can lay in clues and um, um, adventure hooks and stuff into these Absolutely. rumor tables. You don't have to make them tables either. You don't have to make them something you roll if you know what you want. But it's really helpful if you need things on the fly. Uh, reaction tables also for like your NPCs and monsters, how they react to the PCs. Oh, those are so funny. Yeah. You can have faction group and group tables for what, again, what things are going on behind the scenes while the PCs are playing in session and also world events too. So if you don't know what those mean, don't worry. We'll explain as we go. You don't need to know it all. 
But right. random tables are basically just a list of things attached to a number. So maybe you have a, a D6 table, and you have a goblin on one, and then you have an ogre on two and three. Uh, you have a giant on four. You have a, let's say, dragon on five and a tarasque on six. And so you Whoa. need a you need an encounter. Jeez. I know it got it escalated quickly. I know. Uh, you need an encounter. You roll that d6 and you come up with a four, which is what do we say, an ogre? I think. Sure. Or maybe a giant. <laughs> giant. So then you don't really. It takes some of the thinking out if you need something quick. Right. But if you know what you want, you don't you don't need a table. So. Yeah. Um, and along with that, clocks which come al- come from. Blades in the dark, and that's basically making a circle with some and dividing that circle into sections. So it could be just dividing it into quarters, so you have four sections. And these are really good for if you need something to count down outside of the player's awareness. So maybe like there's a orc orcish horde coming over the hill, and they're going to attack the stronghold that the PCs have taken over, and the PCs are trying to fortify and you know, every so often you roll to see if this clock progresses. And once you fill up all the spaces on the clock, that army shows up. So yeah. it's not just off your whim. You actually have a timetable right. for things to kind of roll forward. Again, going back to dynamic stuff. So yeah, yeah. Do you have anything to add? Not to that. I mean, I feel like that was a, a little bonus for a little planning. Bon- a little boner? Yeah. Bony? And then one thing I do a lot, and sometimes they do this first, are flavor descriptors. A lot of times they're adjectives. So instead of writing out flavor text like you would see in a published module, I found it much more helpful just to have kind of inspirations for the texture of the environment the PCs are in. So if they're in a dark cave, it's uncomfortably dank. Or mm. this is a real word, moist, moistly dripping. I was like, that's a real word? Yep. What? Okay. I'm using it. Impenetrable darkness, echoing animal cries, boggy cloistered air. Just things to give it like, ooh, that puts you in the space more. Right. So having a nice list, you don't really need more than six, you know, six to 12. You won't use them all. Um, and then the other stuff is just details like your maps again. So like, if you, again, if you're doing it online, you're probably going to use a lot more maps than if you're playing on an actual tabletop your music which uh we're i think we're going to do a whole episode on like our favorite D &D music because we have a lot of music we like i have i even found some extra today nice video game music is great but anyways we'll, we'll get to that and then uh you might need handouts like maybe if they find a clue of uh like a paper with some code on it, you can make a little handout. If you're in person, you can actually make something for the characters, the the players to touch. Um, you might need to make tokens for your monsters. If you're in roll twenty, you got to do dynamic lighting. So there's extra stuff, but you can leave all that aside at first. So that's what I got. Right that's there. what I got. That's what I got. Um, well, we hope. Yeah, it was. I think that's a good place to stop. Yeah. Yeah, I hope you guys mm. had uh, fun listening. And uh, if you've made it all the way through and you have questions or opinions on anything we've said, um, yeah, comment, let us know, all the Messages, stuff. Messages, tell Messages. us things. 
Tell us all the things. Not all the things. Yeah. Some I mean, of the things. Okay, one thing. You you can tell us one thing. Maybe two if you're Sons real nice. Bitches. I'm Anyways, gonna, we love you. Uh love you. Ian. Ian, do you want to sign yeah. us off? I sign us off. Yeah. Stay sweaty. Mm, mm. It's good. It's smoky. This has been a Polymuse Creative Production. Music was provided by Jerry Stinquist. To check his music out, go to soundcloud.com forward slash Jerry Stinquist. Until next time, roll high and take a point of inspiration. Like, share, subscribe!